0: Welcome to Kashvis On The Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer, and I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashvis Magazine. And tonight, I think we have a very good show, uh, nothing to do with Milchix, uh, many times before uh, before Schwartz, we talk about Milchix, we're not talking about Milchix now, in fact, we're going to lead off with something about meat. So, <laughs> But we have meat on yanktos too, but not, not this kind of meat. Uh, in any event, let me just tell you quickly what we have on top tonight. We're going to be discussing cell-based meat. I'm going to give you a very brief mention of something that happened in Canada. I don't want to say or spell it out too much. Uh, then we're going to discuss Seamus, because we have to know how to handle Seamus. That's a practical part of life. Maybe it's a kosher issue. And then we're going to discuss Kashvis and Eretz Israel. And then, God willing, with, with time permitting, I'm going to share with you a story. You know, I, I've been on this show now, I don't know how many years, it's seven, seven and a half years, something like that, I really don't know how long it's been, and uh, basically many of the people who are listening to me right now have been listening for much of that time, and certainly I have people who listen every week, and some people can't make it, Fine. After all this much time, even though I don't speak to all of you, I do speak to some of you, and uh,
1: it, it, it uh, feels like uh, almost like family. So I decide I'm going to share with you
2: my favorite story Anything between now and then? I'll see you. I'll speak to you
0: then. But if you can stay with us fine, because we have a very important show, but 10 minutes to seven, Blee Nether will try to read a story that I consider my favorite story. I, I won't tell you why, but, but I will share with you because I think everybody has to hear the story. I'm not sure if I ever printed it. I, I think in my brain I printed it. Perhaps I don't remember everything I printed. So it uh, could be yes, could be no. I know I've spoken to the author of, of that uh, particular article um, and uh, it's something that just happened to see it again that's why i'm bringing i brought it in i said you know let me share with everybody so that's a ten to seven but let's start now with uh, an interesting thing this is i tell you every, everything i try to bring you is the latest 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 it's happening things that came you know i have here may 31st this is also from may this is uh from the dafa kashrus dafa is the ou's secret uh weapon and anybody who wants to get it, that secret document, can get it free, no charge at all, as far as, until they stop yelling at me for telling everybody about it. But you contact uh, by Yosef Grossman at the OU. I'll give you his direct line and his email, 212-613-8212, or Grossman, with two S's, grossman at OU.org. And tell them you want to get Dafa Koshvers. Don't tell them you told you to do it. Otherwise, they're going to start getting upset. Too many people asking for it. It doesn't cost them anything if you send it in an email. And that's what you'll be able to get. Now, let
1: me tell you, the, uh, the, the article is so relevant.
2: To now, This is the hottest thing out
0: there. It's... You know, cell-based meat. In other words, they're going to grow meat in a bit. So, you know, uh, the first times it was discussed, uh, it's mutter, it could be done. this and that. Let's hear what the OU now in May of 2019 by Rabbi Eli Gersten, who is, by Gersten is the
2: RC for Pesach and policy. in order and keeps the, the books so that they have the records of what their psak sock, psakim are. what he said now just
1: now about the cell-based meat which everybody was talking from an animal that uh, was alive or or recently died
2: the Growth of these cells.
1: It doesn't exist. As far as Allah is concerned, microscopic entities do
2: not... ...significance, since they're invisible to the
1: naked eye. In other words, they don't have to be kosher to start with. So Rabbi
0: Shlomo Zalman-Orbach, Zatzal, discussed a similar question in uh, Mincha Shlomo Tinyana 107. If microscopic plant cells are extracted from one species of fruit and then introduced into another to form a new variety,
1: does the resulting hybrid have the status of kalayim? You're not allowed to have
2: different... Uh, that's called kalayim. You can't
1: graft, etc. So Rav arbach rules that it is kalayim, even though we don't
0: see those cells. And it is forbidden to mix species even though the cells are not visible to the human eye. So Shlomo Zalman has Paskin, that even if you don't see them, if you're using them, then they're real. You can't just say, I don't see it. But you're doing it. You're working with it. Because the impact of the cells is apparent in the development of the fruit. The same argument applies here as well. So that's the first issue. Do they have to be slaughtered According to Shrita, with laws of Shrita, the answer would be yes.
2: And we could go a step further and we'd say that the example is glass kosher. It would have to be glass kosher. So therefore, it will only be as good
1: The next issue is that the stem cells are introduced into a broth.
2: broth That's what
1: they eat, that's what they live on, that's how they grow. The stem cells are less than one
2: part in 60 of the solution. It
1: means that you take um, something and you use it to create a
0: change in the product. So, for example, an ingredient, uh, you know,
1: let's say, for example, you're, you're, you're making uh, Jello. So you put in sugar.
2: Or, you know, we have uh, some uh, agar-agar.
0: We have some other kinds of uh, things that gel. But if you're using... Um, if you're using real gelatin today have we have kosher gelatin etc fish gelatin etc so if you're using a gelatin that gelatin is making the jello into a in the where it becomes a solid that's called making a significant
1: change and it's called mimet you created the new product which was a
2: liquid you turned it into a solid That's called a mimet. It affects a change,
0: not just the taste, but a change in the product. So that's a question now. Um, what uh, Are they? Are the stem cells or are they a mimet? So this is a very interesting question. I don't know if you, everybody is familiar with Talaqas, but it, it'll be very clear in a moment. How does this concept... So then there's a concept called which means that let's say this is a mimet and a mimet is a feeble bellow low bottle a mimet doesn't become nullified even if you have 60 or
1: 100 or 1000 doesn't matter mimet is not going to become bottle but we have a
2: concept called necessary to
1: accomplish the role then it then they're not called a mimet i mean the
0: Easter is not a Maimid because it's because it needs the other thing to help along. So that's the concept that they're trying to introduce here, that the stem cells work together with the broth to be our our, our eventual meat. How does the concept of Zebizagorim relate to cultured meat? As was explained by Rabbi Price, that's from the OU, cells do not grow on their own. And will not replicate until, unless until they're induced to do so by growth factors. In addition, they must be fed proper balance of feedstock and nutrition. Nutrients, sorry. Reb Chaim uh writes, that's one of the from the previous generation, writes that we follow the ruling of the Minchas borough, that in order to be considered Zev the two Gorman must do the same act in other words the two things so that are creating the new product it's not that you need the two of them that's not enough says the time You you need that the two things are doing the same thing at the same time and that's why they it, it was a joint production and that's why we don't call we don't look to the Easter alone and we say the Easter is a combination with the Heter and they create the new, pr- the new product so that only is if they're doing the same action however if only the sourdough that is used as truma but this uh, but the sourdough will be ineffective unless other ingredients are added to promote fermentation this is not considered zevzergerin and we view the sourdough of truma as an independent mimet we're not going to go into the sourdough thing now but the point is if you're not doing the same action together then it is not considered to be Zerbezergurim of Kaimo Grzynski. This cannot be considered Zerbezergurim and the cells are viewed as a sole mimet. Therefore, in non-kosher stem cells are used, the resulting product would be non-kosher. So that's number two of our problem that, that we need. We have a problem of using non-kosher and even if we'll say maybe they're or the, the, the non-kosher meat, but it, it, it's not going to be bottled because you need, because it's a mime. Number three, furthermore, the case cannot be considered a zevizagurin because the original cell is not only a gurin. Rather, that when a cell d- divides, the new cells are expansions of the original cell. If the original cell is not kosher, then all the expanded cells will not be kosher. Therefore, the whole product is crazy. Okay, that's number three. Now, Rabelski Zatza and Rab Shachta, both Paskin, that feathers and hair are kosher even if taken from a non-slaughtered or a non-kosher species of animal. And this is a question they're making a thing called El sistine which uh, the OU does certify, which comes from. A living, it comes from the uh, feathers of living organisms. So with, ah, you can't eat something from another living organism. But this thing is not considered to be uh, part of that because it grows separately. You know, certain things, that's what he's going to talk about here. He says uh, they're not considered part of the animal. The, ha- the, the feathers uh, are not considered part of the, or hair is not considered part of the animal the bird, since they're inedible and did not receive the nourishment from the animal. They grow not from the actual uh, flesh of the animal. In order to propagate cells, you must use living cells which receive nourishment from the bird. There are some live cells near the base, let's say of the, uh, of the feather near the base, there are live cells, but they're invisible. So that's what they're using that to make these stem cell things. What they're doing is the stem cell meats they do using some live cells that are, from, that, that are coming from the base of the feathers. And uh, so, so the problem here is that when you extract this these live cells, then they would be considered to be regular meat, flesh, quote, but you will, and they're not considered to be like the feather, which is different than the L-cysteine. And therefore, for these reasons, the OU obviously is getting away from thinking about using the stem cells, meat stem cells from stem cells, unless they can get kosher. Now, I'm going to uh, just mention this in passing. Not that I want to go into it, because first of all, it's a family show, it's a timing, I don't want to get into this topic, and I don't want to uh, upset anybody, but I want you to hear it, because we, we do have to be aware. It seems that in... In Canada, the COR, was sued by a gentleman who had been there mashkiah and he was found doing something uh, inappropriate in terms of whom he was uh, who, who, who was, he, he was interested in marrying and uh, It seems because of that they they let him go a few years ago and he sued them and he won nineteen thousand dollars bar Hashem they paid that money and uh, they are, uh, maybe they're off the hook now. But this is, the unfortunately, the wave of the future. The reason why I'm mentioning it is because a few weeks ago we were talking about this question of mashkichim, eating non-kosher. If there was such a thing, we don't know if it's
2: true. And this, of course, also we don't know if it's true. To stay on top of who is your mashkiah.
0: Now, I, talked, I said I'm going to talk about Seamus. I'm going to share with you, believe it or not, Lahabdab bin Chaim I'm going to share with you a few points from Rabbi Moshe Heineman, which really goes back, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago or something like that. So I don't know how he says the same thing today, but it's pretty basic. And I'm going to share with you uh, a few things from Rabelsky Zatzal, which he said on the topic. And I think it... If you know everything already, Baruch Hashem. If you don't know everything, I think you're going to learn something today. So this is, first was Ramosha Moshe Heinemann. I'm not going to read all of it to you. I'm just going to give you a few of the highlights. Now, some things have no kadusha and they can be thrown away. You don't, have any, you don't have to keep it in a special thing and pay somebody to bury it. Things like tzach, it's from the sukkah, tzitzit, talesim. The Throgim, the Lovin, the Dossim, the and the towels bag. Towel's bag, not Tefillin. Objects which do have Kedusha must be wrapped in plastic and buried. For example, Tefillin, fillin bags, mezuzahs, mezuzah covers, Sepharim, whether handwritten, printed, or, co- or photocopied. Now, what about if I have on a piece of paper, a little, I started buying some notes in Hebrew. Uh, I got half a possible or something. So this is what Rabbi Heineman says. A paper on which three consecutive
2: words of a Pasuk from Tanakh had been written a borrowed
1: phrase, like we call them militia. These are shamans. Three consecutive
0: words. A lot of people use that in speaking and they know what they're saying. You know, they, they say, you know, but, uh, obviously tsar uh, 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 you, you know, Tsar Balechayim might qualify for that.
1: You have to be very, very careful when you're taking uh, three words that may be any paper or material of which one of the names
0: of Hashem is written. It has to be put in shame. In the above cases, the Shemus or div or divrei Torah may be cut away from the paper and buried, if so desired. However, pieces of paper that fell off from a safer, even if there's no writing or print on it, are considered shameless.
2: The safer has the margin. That's part of the book. The first page. In the Hebrew language are not shameless if they do
0: not conform to one of the specifications we just mentioned. More things from behind a behind a Newspapers and magazines which contain secular information, and with addition to any tzokum or hazalzit or, or halafah that they have, newspapers and magazines which contain secular information should not be put into shamers. They degrade the real shamers that are buried with them, especially if the advertisements and pictures are not within the spirit of the Torah. The pages that have Torah may be removed and put into Seamus. Or the whole paper may be. I'm sorry, the whole paper may be wrapped in paper and then in the plastic cover a kelly, so of Kaley, the so Kaley, double wrapping. Put it into a paper or something like that or plastic and then put another plastic over it. The letters, base I and hay, olive yud hay, base hay, are not Seamus according to halacha and Jewish custom. However, it is an act of piety. In other words, it's a it's a it's a thing to do to put them into shame. The letters base, samach, the siyata, the Shmaya have no significance. They can put them into trash. So Rabbi Heineman suggesting the base hay and the imiyat Hashem, the Al yud hay, and the bez Hashem base hay, should be recommending that they act of piety, to put them in shamus, although with it's not required. So this gives you a little idea of what he had. And I'm just going to mention about three things from Rabbi Felsky. Preventing our Torah journals from acquiring Kedusha. There were some contemporary post who wished to extend... I'm sorry, I should have started before. Let me start before that. Margins of sparrams. The Kedusha of the Divrei Torah written on a piece of paper technically extends to the margin of the paper as well. So behind him it said that. Nevertheless, many posts can maintain that these margins are not shameless. This is what I mean from belsky now. The reason for this is because it's very common for the margins of Svarim to tear and small pieces to become separated. In the old days there used to be these thick tape- paper, the books to have thick paper and they crack. They break off very easily. Therefore it is as as if the original printers explicitly stipulated that the caducea should not be extended to the margin. Okay, that's what he what some say. However, Rabbi Felsky points out, there are poskim who maintain that this leniency is only applicable to brand new Svarim that had not been learned from. However, the SAFER has been learned from, or we'll say davin from, the caducea automatically extends to the margins as well. And he has sources for that. There's a muggin of rum in Shinlam, a Dalit, Sivkat, and Khofei. I'm not going to go into that source, but there's a source. In any event, that's what many of us are careful about. Now, preventing our Torah journals from acquiring Kedusha. There are some contemporary postgibs who wish to extend the above logic and thus permit the discarding of our temporary contemporary, sorry, Torah pamphlets and newspapers. They maintain that since our newspapers are normally discarded after a very short period of time. How about weekly, right? It can be compared to the printer samples and to the margins of a safer, and we would thus be permitted to discard them. However, m- most posts disagree with the comparison of our Torah journals and newspapers to the printer samples and to the margins of a the SAFER. They maintain that printing proofs that were never intended to be used for learning and the margins. They ha- that have no Torah written on them may be discarded. However, Torah publications that are intended to be used for learning and are used for learning, albeit for a short period of time, like the kids' uh, homework, right? You know, or is there little booklets? Are automatically sanctified by the Torah that is written in it, and it's pointless to stipulate that they should not become sanctified. In other words, they become kodesh, and they must be handled properly, but we mentioned that there are uh, the journals maybe with double wrapping the question is can you do that today with um, with books of, or things like the answer is no most people will tell you that you have to put it to Seamus there is something today about the fact that they have recycling and some police can feel that the recycling means it's less of a shiloh but this is something you'll have to ask your own Rob I'm not going to go into that now and this is uh, also from Rabbi Belsky. Ramosha Moshe maintained that even to write base hay is problematic, since the hay is a reference to Hashem's name. Instead, one should write base samaf dalet, or, Hashem or base ayin, ayin zayin hay shin yud. Rab Moshe writes that it is very common for these items to be discarded. And in many instances, unintentionally, the base hay on the top of the little thing, the kids go write notes and letters and and, uh, and, uh, whatever it is, little small things they put out. Some people, every page they start with a base hay on the top. Uh, By people who don't bother opening their mail and immediately discard it upon receiving it. So a lot of times we get the base hay or something else like that in the mail that we get. And we didn't even open up the letter and we're throwing it out. And maybe you took a problem with that, obviously we don 't know about it, so it can 't blame us too much but, but Moshe said the people should not be using those indications so that gives you a little bit of an idea of the topics that we were interested in talking about. I see it 's getting later than I thought I, 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 I'm still trying to catch that that spot to be able to read the story to you. but let me share with you I came across this not on my own. Somebody sent it to me. One of the Talmud sent it to me. There's a doctor, Jonathan Nisanoff. Let me tell you a little bit about this. You see, there's a, there's a Torah journal that comes out from California, Los Angeles, California. It's called Nitzachon. Nitzachon is put out by Adas Torah, which is a shul. The rabbi is Rabbi Do- David Reva, Reva. I don't know. I thought it Reva. And it's in Los Angeles. This is a Torah essays in, this, in these in these journals. Very, very interesting. I read one, and then I caught the other one, which I hope to use in two weeks, and so we 're going to have a special guest, Emir Sahem, talking about and singing a little music and discussing the the derivations, the problems, the issues with music and I have some material which i I caught out this and on. They have an amazing article. I'm not going to tell you too much about it now. Otherwise, I'm spoiling it for the next time. But it's an interesting journal if you want to look it up. It's called Nitzachon, N I T Z A C H O N. Of course, it's written in Hebrew too, but you can write it in English. And this is the Adas Torah, it's a shul out in Los Angeles, California. Now, this article by Rabbi, by Dr. Nisanov is about Khashous in Israel. You really should get it if you can. It it reads beautifully. I know that I'm not going to finish it. I I doubt it. Maybe I will. I don't know. But it's it's a uh, it's a classic. Now I know everything about Israel on a certain level, and and I and I talked about it extensively, but I've never put it as succinctly and wonderfully as this Dr. Nistadov has put in it. And and also he has. You know, he has some things that I didn't know, he, you know, a lot of mater- a lot of material. And it, it, it's really great. It's a real great read if you can get a hold of it. It's called Kashras in Israel. And uh, I didn't write it down, but it's, I think it's the latest volume of Nitzchakon. If it's not, it's one of the earlier ones. If you go to the website, you'll see that they're all lined up there. And uh, you could, it doesn't tell me, it's on page 161 but I didn't write down, I'm sorry, which volume it's in. I think it's the current one. I think it's from uh, 2019. In any event, Kashrus in Israel by Dr. Jonathan Nisanoff. We'll do a little bit. I had been to Israel many times as a child, but most of the time we ate at my relatives' homes, so dealing with Sharon wasn't an issue for me. When my family wanted to take my uncle out to dinner, he refused. He said he doesn't trust any of the hakshayim in Israel. This seemed a bit odd to me. So I asked him, where did he buy his meat? He said he did his own (laughs) shchitah. That's my first introduction to the complexities of kashvah's issues in Israel. I recently visited Eretz Israel only to find out that nothing has really changed. There's a limited kashvah's transparency with few written or published standards for kashvah. There's the Rabbanut Heksha for each city in Israel. And there's the Mahadran and the Badats and various other Heksharim with no real understanding who you can rely on. And, well, you are starting to get the picture. The whole thing made no sense. Why wouldn't the government just use one Heksha? I promised I wouldn't discuss politics. (laughs) In America, life is so simple. We have about 400 Heksharim. Most are reliable, some are not. We look for the reliable symbols on food or at restaurants, and we're all good. Some of us keep focused, well, others don't. Pretty much everything is otherwise glott. I, I can't remember the last time I ate at a meat restaurant in Los Angeles that wasn't glott kosher. Oh, I can tell you it was probably 15 years ago. It, it's not so simple in Israel. When walking into a mall there where there's a food court or a hotel restaurant, most of the people eating in these restaurants will have kippahs, tzitzis hanging out. Some of your shiva students, and, and yet many others whose kashras you would trust would refuse to eat in those places. So obviously, it is complex, It's very complex. We're not going to be able to treat it completely now at all. A little bit, I'm going to give you a taste of, um, of, of what's going on there. Basically, when it comes to the Rabbanut, there's the Mahadran and the non Mahadran. And nobody has been able to give you, will be able to give you an exact definition of what's Mahadran. <laughs> Each Rabbanut decides itself what's Mahadran. It's uh, very interesting that way, right? In Eretz Israel, there are two types of Hapsheran Mahadran and non Mahadran. The non Mahadran supervision is usually performed by the local Rabbanut, and the the official local and regional government of the Israeli rabbinate Some of the local rabbinuts are more reliable than others. Which one? The rabbinim uh, who give this type of heksha often do not eat from this certification
2: themselves.
0: <coughs> yeah, I'll read it again. The rabbinim who give this type of heksha often do not eat from this certification themselves. Ready? That's what it says, and that's true. Based on research that I have done, this is with Dr. Nisanov now, um, including many discussions with kosher experts in Israel, I've learned that local rabbanut certify these products because they feel it's important that there should be a complete, inexpensive variety of kosher products available so the consumer will not be tempted to buy non-kosher. Therefore, the Rabanut is willing to bend over backwards with kulos and a lenient piece, to make sure that as many food products as possible have a and a kosher al pi bottom line. This means that no Jew would violate any surim by eating this food. Many people have it, they prefer to eat only food that can be lechachila, since the mahadran heksherim were developed. The lechachila kashras includes proficient inspection of fish, greens, and legumes for insects and bugs, prohibiting the use of many items, including but not limited to strawberries, other berries, certain cuts of meat, and the certainty that the milk, vegetables, foods, and other items are not the result of Chilashabbos. It also means that the mashkiach, the presence present, while the kitchen operates. This is the mahad. What is the regular What's the ragil? What's the regular the, it doesn't look into the vegetables. It doesn't inspect the fish. It, it, you eat all the berries. You, you can eat any kind of cut of meat. Uh, you don't know that there's, there's no killer shabbos in the milking. There's no much meaty, That's what it means. So, Mahadran. I, I don't know if our standards in America are called Mahajan or not. I'm not going to go into that. But, the, but obviously, Dr. Nisanov is pointing out that Mahajan is different than Ragiel. And really, anybody coming from America who buys OU, OK, star Starke, does not belong eating a regular Rabanut in Israel unless you have some kind of inside information. Because it's just way off. That's what the man is telling you. Dr. Nisanov from L.A. Regal's uh, he, he goes on a little bit to talk about it. I can't get into it. I see the time is zipping by. Uh, all right, Let's read a little more on, on Mahajan because that's really a key point. Mahajan is a general term meaning enhanced strict akashras. I like that, but it doesn't tell you what it means. People use it to describe a particular standard or they might mean a general term for one or several Hefsheirim, such as the Badats of the Yedah Haraitis, of Rav Landau, the Rav Reuben, the Shavish Yisrael, or Rav Machput. The term can also be used by a local rabbinate, Heksha to denote a higher level than their usual standard. In other words, it can mean anything or nothing. This is what Dr. Jonathan Mithenoff is telling us. Mahadrin in Israel could mean anything or nothing. I I don't want to let anybody down, but that's that's reality. And just because they put the word Mahadran doesn't mean you should be using it. I recommend everybody who goes to Eric Israel to do some research here before they go. And I give you now the secret Ways. There's two ways. I'm sorry, I don't have uh, one of my uh, one one of the email addresses. There's ZNT um, I have to remember what it is. said you there? I think. The, can you computer? Can you look up Z N T in Israel and see and get the, me the uh, information on it? Z N T. This organization. That's the Z N T Z N T something like that. Z N T, that's it, three letters. Dot org, dot let's say. Or. Yeah. What is what is the uh, Z N T kosher? They call themselves okay. Z N T kosher dot org dot or. org probably. But it's ZNT Kosher. You can look it up if you, if you go online. Give me, uh, it's ZN... And they give me a lot of product. It's not giving me that one. There's a, web, there's a website. One website. There's a website. ZNT Kosher. This company does give hush which is one of the things I argued with him. About. I felt we spoke a week ago, and he's, and I told him I don't like the idea that you're doing two things at once. But he is a ma- they have a major project reporting to the community, anybody, you, anybody, on recommended uh, restaurants, et cetera. Now, what they did basically is that they took the Eidah Haaretz, their own Hoshgahas, <laughs> that's for sure, and they took the uh, Eidah Haredes and Rebe Rubin from a hobo, and I don't know, a few others, whatever it was, a few, just a couple of Hoshgahas to land down. I mean, just the basics. I think, I'm not sure how, where they went with Rabbi Machput. I don't know if he was in or out. But they have a certain list, and you can get it for across the country. In addition to that, this is what I want you to hear. You'll never hear it anyplace, though. You contact these people. If I don't have the information tonight, I'll get more information, but you know, next time. Did you get You end up with it? You got the website? Uh, ZNT Kosher? You didn't get the website? No, we have, we have like this, ZNT. Oh, but it's not, it's, it's, uh, no, it's nothing. And this year, zntkosher.org. No, so you have the Dnt uh, shul. Is it shul? Shul. Yeah. Uh, What's the name of the the show? That's, that's what this, uh, I'm looking right now, it's the only. Uh, there's the name of a shul. I forgot what it's called. Let me, called... The, the, the ZNT stands for the, Zichron. Zichron Natansvi. Natansvi. Okay, zikronnatansvi.org. Anyway, rogue, that's, but, uh, okay. Okay. that's the show. Okay, zikronnatansvi.org, that's the website probably. In any event, these people, and what I'm telling you now, probably almost nobody knows. because They told it to me, I didn't know what it is. They research the hotels in Israel that are not in their lives that are under the Rabbanut, that are mahadran or whatever, in major hotels, they monitor on a regular basis what they serve in their breakfast. You have to understand something. I, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to go through this whole thing today. What happens in Israel is that the Rabbanut, he, he explains it, in Rabban, Dr. Nisanoff explains it. That, 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 are, that a hashkaha like the badats of the Eta Haredes only uses ingredients and sources that they certify. They don't have anything else. They use all, they control every part of it themselves. In America, if you go to an OU restaurant, you'll we'll see OK, Star K, you'll see a lot of other products from other companies. OK, you won't find everything all the place in every place. And if there's an OU product, they probably take your preference to an OU product. That's fine. But there is some kind of association, acceptance. In Israel, they run a very separate group. Each one of these mascafas that are good run a tight ship where they control the ingredients that they use very, very carefully. I told you the story once before by Reuben from the was called Badat's mahajman a very high-level hashkafa. He produces all of his dried milk in Germany under his own But That's all he'll use. He doesn't use anybody's powdered milk from Israel. He has a control. That's his. That's it. That's what you use. You have his hashgacha. And that's the way it's done. It's a very tough thing for some of these store owners and these restaurants and these caterers to limit everything to what the rabbi is telling them. But that is what is being done. So now we go to a hotel that doesn't have the badatz mahad, doesn't have the Ada harbeis, doesn't even maybe maybe hopefully it has a, 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 a rabbanut mahadran from Yushalayim or something. And now we want to know what are they serving there? Are the standards equivalent to what I would like to have? That I, but there's not enough hotels that have these other hashkachas? I want to know. I have a good standard in my place. Now, in Israel, you can go out and eat in the restaurants all the time. But the, the breakfast, <laughs> the breakfast in Israel—that's a meal. And when you eat that breakfast, you don't eat the rest of the day. <laughs> Till nighttime. Or something. But that breakfast is a powerful breakfast. There's a million things at the breakfast. But it just there with that. You don't need really to see any packaging. So, what am I being served in this particular hotel? This rabbi, for zero dollars, is answering tons of emails. If you contact him, zntkosher.org, zichron natan svi. It's a group in Israel, the Haredi people, very interesting. People American speaking, we go. You can write everything in English, and they will actually tell you about what's going on in the breakfast, in maybe maybe well, maybe other meals too. In the in these in these particular hotels, and they periodically go and inspect, and they they have their hands on it. It's wild. I mean, really, this is this is a. I told them it's a big circus. It's a beautiful thing you're doing. You know, and they're not getting paid for it. So they're spending tons of time, and if you want to, that's that's the biggest secret that I can possibly give you. Anyway, so that's a that's a little bit of a, a shmeichel. It's 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 so it's so sad not to be going on, you know, giving you. Uh, you know, they he discusses in here about the difference between the different levels of glot. There's so many interesting levels of glot and. And in Israel there's such things with the Svardim and the Ashkenazim and, and, and uh, so many aspects he goes through. Now, he, he does say something about dairy, which I, I said I wasn't going to talk about dairy today. Okay, so we'll sneak this in here then. Are there really any issues with dairy products? How no, about Israel. There is a difference of opinion where the Chazal decreed that milk from a herd of cattle that belongs to Mechalo Shabbos, a non-observant Jew, falls into the category of Chalov Akum, the non-Jew. Both the Chazonish and the Moshe Feinstein rule that this milk is permitted. In other words, a non-religious Jew is uh, the Mechalo Shabbos, and he's milking, not necessarily milking on Shabbos, but is, he, is his milk considered to be, if he does the milking, is it considered to be Yisrael. So Rav Moshe says yes, Chazanish says yes. Based on this Pesach, most Mahadran and non mahadran milk in Israel is milked without a Mashfiach present on the premises uh, of the non-observant farms. The only difference between the Mahadran and the non-Mahadrin is that the Mahadran milking is done is not done. The Mahadrin milking is not done on Shabbat. Otherwise, you might be getting milk that was milked on Shabbos. And that is a little bit of a question, whether we could have Hanoff from that, whether it's appropriate, etc. And that's what sent Rabbi Rubin to Germany. He said, I don't want to deal with the question of Shabbos here and for the non jewish people on the farm. And therefore, he doesn't do it in Israel at all. Um, no, another point or two. The Rabbanut has mandated that all restaurants and caterers, both non Mahadran and Mahadrin, purchase leafy vegetables from sources that grow produce in controlled environments such as the former Gush Katif hot houses. Mahadrit, the Rabbanut is, is crazy Meshuggah from about vegetables. I want you to know that. Forget about that. It. It's not like in America. The rabbanut is strict in a half about this, Of course, we have a lot of bugs in Israel. So their mamish set. they want a very good hothouse arrangement, greenhouses. They want it, They want to do it the best possible. They're very strict. I didn't say that. I don't say that this can you can't be more machmir than them. But I'm saying you should know it's not a game at all to the rabbanut in Israel, and even requiring non Mahadr places to have it. Mahajan establishments also require that canned vegetables be purchased from insect-controlled sources. Non-Mahajan does not have this policy. I don't know if you caught what I said. It's
2: unreal. He's saying mushrooms doesn't care what
0: goes into that can and the mahadran does that's what he's saying i don't know if it's true i can't back it up but this is the this is from this is from dr uh jonathan nisanoff in a publication called nitsachon says that mahadran establishments require that canned vegetables be purchased from insect controlled sources and non-mahadran does not have that policy that was a thing that i never saw before and i was really shocked there's a bunch of other things in here that very much surprising. The next part, I, again, I'm skipping a lo- tons of stuff, and you really should get a hold of it if you can. It's about 10 pages in, in, in that booklet. Uh, the, the rabbanut does not require a lot of sifting of flour to find bugs, but the Mahadran does. I hope you understand. Sifting in Israel is absolutely necessary. And that's one reason I would never even think of sending anybody to, to anything other than the Mahadran or better. I saw with my own eyes the grains going into the grinder. And it was filled with bugs. And I pointed it out to the Mashkiyah. And he said, don't worry. You see them, the bugs, the insects? They're running away. They're trying to get out of the grinder. So they don't get ground. He said, they all get out every single day? He said, most of them. So this is what goes on in Israel. They're filled with bugs. So if you don't do a sifting, it's really pathetic. But this, this is just a, a little taste I I told you I was going to give you a taste of great article. Khashrus in Israel, Dr. Jonathan. This and It's really required reading if you go to Israel, but you have to do. But get in t- touch with that organization, ZNT. They are unbelievable people. I'm, I I don't hope they'll be happy that I gave it out. And now, I promised to share with you a story. It's not I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to read the story. This is my favorite. I share with you with all of what that means. I tell you just in advance that the reason why it's my favorite story may not be the reason you might like it or not like it. And I can't tell you the exact details, but I knew people who experienced things like we're talking about here. And that's why aside from the the great writing of one of the greatest writers I've ever seen Rabbi Hillel Goldberg, the executive editor of Intermountain Jewish News. And it's something you'll never forget. You could find it
2: all over the Internet if you have to pick it up. But
1: if you take anything from here, and if you remember Rabbi Hillel Goldberg
0: from Intermountain, Jewish News, and if you remember the article, is the last four digits, you'll be able to get a copy. Uh, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't have it actually uh, uh, in my computer, so I can't send it to you right now. As a child growing up in the Bronx, the last four digits of Terry Noble's phone number were 7401 coincidence, when Terry got a social security number, the last four digits were 7401. And years later, when he found himself as a volunteer on a kibbutz in Israel, he now called himself Tuvia Ariel. He worked with a carpenter whom he respected. The carpenter was a wiry, solid man, dedicated to the silent type. Tuvia learned that he was one of the few who had escaped Auschwitz alive. And he then joined the Polish partisans, then the British army. He was sent to Palestine, where he deserted to join the Palmach and help Israel win her independence in 1948. Quite a history. But more than war piqued Utobia Ariel's curiosity about this survivor's experience in the Holocaust, Utobia had read the number tattooed on his arm. Its last four digits were seven, four, oh, one. Don't talk about it, Tuvia recalls the carpenter telling him, forcefully and painfully, I lost my whole family. My mother, my father. There was a brother in back of me, a brother in front of me. I'm the only one left. Don't bring it up again. Tuvia didn't, except once. Tuvia Ariel is a man with many stories. In fact, he is a story. The man who was Bob Dylan's advisor for some time, who arranged Kaddish to be recited for A.B. Hoffman, who put in a stint at Yale Law School. The man who as a soldier in the U.S. Army, arrived in Israel during the 1956 Sinai War, tore the USA from his uniform, and looking just like an Israeli, hitched his way down to the Sinai Peninsula, ready to fight, only to find that the war had ended just two hours before. I was told in advance how colorful Tovia was, but nothing prepared me for the likes of a comment he made an hour after I met him last Friday afternoon. I knew he had a new leg. I knew it was a breakthrough for him. But who gives thoughts and thanks to such things? Who wonders what it's like without a leg or, or with a new one? Praying in shul, I sensed nothing unusual as the afternoon service came to an end. Suddenly, Tovi approached me, almost in tears. This was the first time in my life I prayed Shmona Esrei standing up in a minyan. I've never been able to address the Almighty like any other Jew, standing up three steps forward, three steps backward. Tovia was raised in a non-observant home in which the Shemona Esrei was not recited. Then he went to Israel in 1963 to volunteer on kibbutzim. In 1967, on the 50th anniversary of the Russian Revolution, he saved his life by cutting his own leg off as he accidentally got caught in the machine he operated on the kibbutz a machine that sucked his leg into the grinder and from which the rest of him escaped only by his quick and courageous self-amputation. A little over ten years later, he became observant. But by then he was rotating between a wheelchair, crutches, and artificial legs, which, however, could never keep him aloft long enough to Davin Shemesra. One Friday, he did it. After walking home only three blocks, He choked up again. That's the furthest I've walked in 22 years. He was fitted with a new leg only shortly before the day the Berlin Wall crumbled. Whence this living miracle? It began innocently enough. Tovia was in the United States at the beginning of 1989 on a business trip. He saw a television commercial by DuPont. It featured a new kind of plastic developed for spacecraft and also used for artificial limbs. The commercial featured amputees engaged in vigorous basketball, not from wheelchairs, but standing up, running, passing, even jumping. A a regular game. And not with the people amputated below the knee, but above the knee. Tovia thought to himself that seeing this was as if seeing your grandmother who died years ago suddenly walking down the street. When he lost his leg 22 years ago, he never thought he would see himself live normally again. And here were people just like him playing basketball. He called Dupont. They directed him to an advanced prosthetic clinic in, in Oklahoma City. He called immediately. When can you take me? When can you make me a leg? How long does it take, and how much does it cost? It seems that for above-the-knee amputees, the old system had the stump rest on prosthesis, which caused pain and circulatory problems, and often didn't work well. Sometimes not at all. DuPont used flexible, rubber-like plastic. The new system grips the stump, which not only relieves pain and circulatory problems, but also better channels the, nerve, the energy and movement of the stump in natural leg-like movement. I have to skip a little bit because we're running late, so I'm just going to w- wiggle ahead a little bit. A man whose history includes the likes of trying to bring Bob Dylan to his Jewish heritage, not to mention saving his own life with the supreme courage and pain, does not shy away from the innovative. But his goal reached even beyond making a technology available in Israel. He wanted to establish a Hebrew-free limb society, which will provide a limb to the amputee as a loan until only an amputee like Tuvier has the right to make this pun. The amputee gets back on his feet. Strictly speaking, it's not idealism that motivates Tovia; It's something more. His sense that he's been designated a messenger of the Almighty. He had reason to think this happening happened once before. The way he sees it, his years of suffering now made him a messenger again to help those whom the world forgets. Here's why he felt that he was a messenger. Tovia volunteered on Tukibbutzim, the one where he lost his leg referred to him to leave the country. He was an embarrassment, but Tovia wouldn't leave Israel. It took him about five years of various struggles, five years of various struggles to get into tourism school. Somehow between cars, crutches, artificial limbs, which kept him in pain and then went bad altogether. He remained a tour guide for 15 years. Toward the beginning of his career, when he was a low man on the totem pole, he was assigned to pick up a tourist in, uh, air, in the airport in Lod and bring them to the main office. One day he picked up an American, ostensibly wealthy, uh, ostentatiously dressed and mannered, even crude. Tobia could not bring himself to be friendly, so he was formal. Halfway from Lud to the the tourist, a prospective man, Perceptive man yelled, pull over. over. Tuvia pulled over. The man barked. You think I'm a materialistic, superficial American tourist, don't you? Well, I've paid my dues. Yanked up his sleeve to show Tuvia the number tattooed on his arm. Tuvia looked. (gasps) Almost went into shock. And before he knew what was happening, the tourist was saying, I lost my whole family. A brother in front of me, a brother in back of me. Tovia's mind burned. The man, man's face was florid. Tovia calmed himself, saying simply, Was your brother's name Shimon? The red face turned white. We're turning around. I'm not taking you to Yerushalayim. Tovia made a U turn, drove one and a half hours to the kibbutz that he'd worked on with the wiry carpenter near Afula. The psychic noise in the car was palpable. Tovia finally reached the kibbutz, then the carpenter shed, saw his former supervisor for the first time in 10 years. Without introduction, he simply said, said simply, Was your brother's name Ru'uven? His face turned white. Tovia returned to the taxi, unloaded it, told his American tourists, Come. I'm bringing you to your brother. He led him to the carpet shed. Did not enter. Did not want to infringe on the privacy of the moment. Then made a U-turn and drove to the entrance of the kibbutz. He stopped. He cried. Why? When he looked at the number tattooed on the tourist's arm, the last four digits were 7402. That was Rabbi Hilbert, Hilbert Goldberg, a beautiful story. Uh, this, is, this was your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Cautious Magazine. I hope you enjoyed the story, got something out of it. And we hope to, uh, I, wish you go, I wish you a, a good yomtiv, and we'll join you in in two weeks. The we'll, topic will be music, and we have some very interesting uh, things planned. Thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful yomtiv.